What's up, y'all? It's Patrick. As always, thank you so much for tuning into our podcast here on Apple and Spotify. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Before we begin, if you could please rate the podcast, it helps us spread the vibe. And if you want to practice with us, visit www.communeyogastudio.com. Your first week is always free. We have new classes every day, and it's a fun place to explore your home yoga practice. Enjoy the episode, and I hope to practice with you soon. All right, here we are, Carling. Me and you, you know, we're here, we're on the mic. We're going to chat together a bit today. The dynamic duo. The dynamic duo of me and you. Just the two of us. Yeah. I was thinking... I was uh, hoping uh, you were going to start singing. Like We could make it if we try? Yeah. Were you thinking Will Smith version or another version? Will Smith version. Yeah, that's the really the only one I know, to be honest with you. Uh, wh- what's the sample of? Do you know what the sample is of? I think it's like a Bill Withers song or something like that. That's, a, that's, that's correct. If someone comment that below. I, I don't know if that's it, right. It, that could be way wrong or it could be way right. You could be, you could be <laughs> spot on. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a sample, but I was just thinking of the, the Will Smith video with his son. Yeah. That's what I was envisioning. But not Jaden or Willow. No, Trey. Because it's the first son, yeah. Trey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not I'm really Jay. up on my Smith family. You, I was say, I'm shockingly wow. up on my Smith family, uh, Smith family tree. Okay, so warm up question: Who's your favorite Smith? Oh, that's easy one, Willow. Yeah, that's that's pretty easy one. All right, I would agree with that. You okay, say second, Willow too? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah Willow. That's not for question. Sure. All right, uh, favorite Will Smith movie? Favorite Will Smith movie? Uh, I Robot. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah, I Robot tie with that or Enemy of the State. I would have to say Enemy of the State was my favorite. It still holds up. I think it still holds up, especially now, because everybody's paranoid about everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I know it kind of makes everything else look like child's play after. But also, we now just carry the devices around with us that allow, that allow literally multiple satellites to track us. To anything. Just, just, you know, true. voluntarily. I think, I think iRobot holds up. I need to read the book. I've heard the book is much better than the movie rendition. But I don't know why. Thing, it's one of those movies of that thing. era. I just lo- like all those sci-fi movies. I just like them all. I like Minority Report. I like iRobot. I like that was a, Fifth Element. I love are all. It's a good era. Fifth Element is well before those others. Is it? Yeah, Fifth Element's a '90s movie for sure. Yes, guarantee. An and the other ones are definitely 2000s movies. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So okay. that I, would, I would not say same era at all. All right. Not, so not even there's a range. 20 year span yes. of sci fi movies that I really like. <laughs> that, that still exists today. Either way, y'all, uh, just calling out on the podcast today, one of the main reasons is we've gotten a lot of questions about awakening yoga. You hear it referenced, you practice it all the time. If you uh, practice with us at the You may not even person, know that you're you may practicing it. You not even know that you're practicing it. Uh, and so we just want to come on and talk a little bit about it and address some of those questions and uh, kind of open the door as to the aim of it, as to you know how it's developed over time and uh, really w- where it's going and how you know we're continuing to grow and to build and you know move, I guess, evolve. Evolve, good, good. Uh... That segue word really threw you off. I feel no, I do think evolve is actually the right thought, word choice I it, there. I thought it hit right because. When you talk about styles of yoga and lineages and methods and systems, right, I think you have to use the word evolve because I don't think there's anything static about the practice, right? It's like this living, breathing practice that has to evolve depending on who's practicing it, where they're practicing it, what the aims of it are. So obviously not everything can evolve, but I think there's always going to be a like kind of revolving door throughout the practice so that it continues for people to continue doing it. Because if it was just the old school, like really traditional Kriyas, like some of those things as maybe warranted as they were, they're just a modern practitioner isn't going to do them. 
That's probably fair. So evolution is necessary. I mean, even people who are in our teacher trainings who may practice some of the early recordings of Awakening Yoga are like, hey, but this isn't what I've been doing uh, on repeat for the last four or five years. This is very true. Um, things, yeah, things evolve. Things, things evolve. They shift. They change. And, uh, and while it's not, it's not dramatic stuff, it's always like little nuanced detail. You'd almost be challenging to pick it up, but mm-hmm. either you way. You've got to be like a devout to really pick up some of the, <laughs> some of the old school stuff versus the new, but some of it is also just, you know, you do things enough. You think mm, this might be a little better this way. This might be a little more interesting this way. And so, I mean, I think you start to see it, uh, tried on by more and more and more bodies. Yes. I think that's the biggest thing. Well, for you have to be able to adapt, right? Because well, otherwise what good is the system if we can't adapt it to who's practicing it? And also because the system is an adaptation in and of itself, right? And so um, one of the big reasons that we developed Awakening Yoga and and kind of where it came from uh, stems from teaching all over the world and seeing so many different people practice. And uh, what I see yoga is, the asana practice of yoga to be, is a ritualistic movement practice where you're doing a fair amount of the same types of movements over and over and over again on a daily basis. Like even if every class is inherently slightly different, you still have a lot of the same patterns involved in that equation to make every class possible. And I wanted to create something that I felt served more of a modern body and more of a modern practitioner in a way that allowed the practice to be ritualistic as opposed to just being repetitious. I find that when the physical requirement, if you will, is above somebody for whatever reason, like everybody has a a time, an amount of time it takes to be able to do something, right? So like, for example, if I, was, if I was like, hey, Carling, you're going to now learn how to build houses. Cool. Cool, right? Cool. Cool. You're excited about that. Yeah, you're that's cool. That. Yeah, okay. It's probably going to take me a while. It's going to take you a while. It's, <laughs> it's going to take you 18 hours a day for the next five years. Less cool. But you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but that's just not a, that's not a reality for mm-hmm. you. You know what I'm saying? There's no, there's no reality where it's like, as of today, if you, if you snapped your fingers and you're like, okay, that's what you're going to do. That's not a reality with your current life. You mm-hmm. can't just all of a sudden dedicate 18 hours a day to doing this thing. Well, and there's many parts of the practice that have a very high requirement to really drop into that, and, and, and that, that style, that approach, that like holistic practice requires exactly far more than a modern practitioner has to give. And, and really even... Even if they wanted to. Even if they wanted to. And so, so that's kind of where the aim is mm. with a lot of the stuff. So it's not to say anything against any other style of practice. It's just really beginning to acknowledge more of a practice that anybody can step into and anybody can begin to build upon and build into. Whereas the physical requirement, say for something as simple as a classic sun salutation, we've actually talked a lot about this in our trainings recently, but in a classic sun salutation, there is a heavy physical requirement for folding. Mm-hmm. Oh right? yeah. There, I mean, think about the quintessential when someone wants to start yoga and what do they say? Like, well, I can't even touch my toes. I can't even touch my toes. And the first thing we say is like, welcome to class. Please touch your toes. Yeah, exactly. And then do it quickly <laughs> and do it many times. <laughs> yeah. And do it as repetitiously as possible and don't go into your lower back. Yes. Yes, and it should not, feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I just didn't feel like that was available. And as I was teaching, or we were teaching really, um, in all of these different places, everybody 
while they have little unique tendencies based on things that were highlighted by the specific communities in that area, kept running into so many of the same walls. And I, and I kept thinking, well, what can we do to reorganize the room a little bit, mm -hmm. if you will? How can we not run into these walls? How can we have a practice that's a bit more of an, an open floor plan? A lot of, a lot of, wow, a lot of home yeah, building we're, analogies yes. today. Well, no, I've, I've shifted I think that makes sense. food and into, and into, <laughs> into construction. Yeah. I was thinking that, like trying to get a little like rearranging the furniture in your house, right? Yeah. You get a fresh perspective on what's what the potential of your home is when you rearrange the f furniture. All of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I could get so much light over here if I shifted this or shifted that. And so I do think that just even little tweaks or even in Awakening Yoga sometimes big tweaks can make a really large impact on how the practice in turn impacts you, right? Because there's so many things that if if something isn't, available, but we just keep trying, keep trying, keep, like the whole saying that practice and all is coming. I think it's a really lovely sentiment. I don't think it's grounded in that much reality. Like all is coming, I understand, is not necessarily about the asana limb of yoga, but I think it's often translated. People think if I just keep coming to class and I keep doing this thing, eventually I'm be able to do it all. And that's truly just not how it works from a physical or mental perspective. I don't think it's not our approach. It's definitely not our approach, but it also just circles back to the same thing about you learning to build houses, right? Like maybe it is true, but there is a certain amount of time that it would require for that to be a reality. Yes. And maybe your body can handle that. And maybe you even have the time to allot to that, but most likely you don't. And so then all of a sudden you're actually beginning to short circuit yourself. You're becoming a bit militant in your approach to mm -hmm. the practice as opposed to being exploratory and, and looking to recognize yourself within the journey. And I think that's something that's so important to me is like by being an explorer of your practice, what it allows you to do is actually recognize who you are and what you're capable of currently and where you can move from. And what I mean is not just move your physical body, but how you want to move, how, like how you want to put focus and emphasis into your practice. Like you can do our practice and do a ton of handstands and you can do our practice and Two. do none. Mm -hmm. And it's all good. It's all the same, same vibe. And so that's something that I really like about it because it's, it's while there's a very set nature to it in regards to the full solar practice and the set, the way you approach it really determines what you get out of it. And that's such a unique um, opportunity, I find. Well, I think one thing that we've always valued very highly in our own practices, you know, even prior to Awakening Yoga and now in our teaching very much so, is this like, combination of curiosity and critical thinking. Like, mm -hmm. curiosity because I, I want myself to be, like, really... I don't know, intrinsically motivated to want to practice and to figure things out and why do I do this and why do I go to my mat and why do things feel this way? Like, okay, that's interesting. That's information that gives me insight into who I am at my base nature beyond just like what am I feeling in Warrior Two? Maybe that's where it starts. But also a layer of critical thinking of, okay, I'm curious about this. Why does this feel this way? How do I work through this? But also like what's maybe the best way for me to work through this as opposed to just what am I supposed to do if I tread down the path? So there's like this intersection of, or this is what I try to evoke out of it, you can tell me if I'm speaking for you, but is this, this mixture of critical thinking and curiosity, and that's what I want to feel in my own practice, but it's also what I want to impart in my students, and that's something that I try to bring to Awakening Yoga, no matter what kind of, 
you know, because awakening yoga can be simple, it can be complex, it can be challenging, it can be very approachable, depending on what how the teacher actually puts the pieces together. And the way you choose to put the pieces mm-hmm. together. I think I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Another. <laughs> <laughs> we have been watching Fixer Upper lately. <laughs> not as much recently because I haven't had new episodes for a while. True. Not as Come much on, as I'd Joe. like to have Come been on, watching Fixer Joe. Upper Let's lately. Let's get it going. Um, but I, I think that... It's interesting to acknowledge that your path may be different than many other people's Mm -hmm. path, and it most likely is. I think that we all want um, to believe that if we follow these steps, we will get these results. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. And nor and it's not true for physical reasons but it's also not true for like your focus reasons like even if you follow these steps maybe that's really not your aim and that's something that I really like to keep coming back to is like the practice should be your own like the more you practice the more you dive into it the more you're following along you're going with the experience of the teacher because I really believe in that but your modulating the nuances and the details of the practice to fit where you are that day and and where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's something that we talk about so often, I find, uh, which is a, a firm belief that we both have that yoga can save your life or can change your life and be one of, uh, can have the most positive impact in your life if you find the right practice for you. Uh, because if you don't find the right practice for you, like you're, you're looking for something mellow when you're going to power yoga classes, right? Or you're looking for something spiritual and you're taking vinyasa or you're looking for something that's like vinyasa or movement based and and you're going to Kundalini and and you're going to Kundalini, right? Like if you find, if you create that alignment with what you want and what is being offered, all of a sudden so many new possibilities and potentials will begin to open up because you're beginning to not only explore a practice, but you're beginning to explore yourself, right? And you're beginning to recognize these different elements about your own human nature, about your own essence nature that are kind of hard to unlock. It's really, it's challenging to tap into the details I find of your own self. Um, and when you, when you get there, you're like, oh, wow, I really am this way, you know? <laughs> and, and it, take, it takes so much courage, yeah. It does take it, courage. It, it, it takes a lot of courage, and, and it takes a lot of, um, I guess, like introspection over time, maybe a nice way to put it. it. It's such a unique journey because it's not inherently about a destination, and yet there's many destinations along the way. Yeah, I think it's hard. It's hard to stay on a path without some semblance of a destination, yeah, right? Exactly. Or at least the idea of a destination, the, the grandiose goal of a destination. Um, and I think there's this sweet spot between like striving and grasping, you know what I mean? Like just reaching for things and trying to take them and take them, which, you know, doesn't quite uh, line up with the, the morals and practices of yoga and the yamas and niyamas. We think about trying to grasp for things. But if we don't have anything within our reach, then it's really hard to stay on our path, stay on the path. It's always, I always find the interesting thing to me with that is it's kind of like playing your past and your potential, which is something that we talk a lot about in class. And your potential is not only what you're capable of, but also where you want to take it. Mm -hmm. And you're referencing your past experiences on the matter elsewhere to guide you through what, where you're going, right? So, you know, if you're somebody that's done a lot of endurance 
athletics, if you will. You come into a yoga practice and you you may be terrible at the movements, but you're like, you know what? I can do this for quite a while. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing fine. I, like my mind, your mind is very built to endure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're someone that hasn't done a lot of activity and then all of a sudden you come into class and you're like, oh my gosh, like what is what it's a lot like what is life what is what is moving my body in space in these very um unique ways going to to provide for me um so as we begin to talk about like moving in unique ways let's talk about the the series in awakening yoga and some that are different and some that are the same um places that you may notice um you know, things to be very familiar. I was just thinking about this. Like, what are the hallmarks of awakening yoga? Do you know what I mean? Not that, that, I don't think... The three things that people would notice first. The things that people notice first. Like, the big things that you'll notice at commune in classes that whether you've come from another studio or whether you've been practicing this for a long time, there's just certain things that no matter what teacher you take, you're going to find if they've done some work in awakening yoga. What do you think those things are? Uh, Vinyasa, A and a B. Yeah, so... Just because they're the most consistent. I think even more overarching than that though, you could say too, the vinyasa for sure, right? Yeah. We do a, a very different approach to vinyasa. The se- the sequence from high plank to chaturanga to upward facing dog is kind of the mo- more, I don't know, classical. I kind of hate that word because it just implies the wrong thing, but yeah. but some more common. Uh, and we do a full push up every yeah. time and drop to your knees and your forearms, pull through to upward facing dog. So that's different. I think if I was to just drill it down to very simple things, active squat is different. Active squat. If you're doing an active squat called active squat, mm-hmm. like you're probably doing some has some awakening yoga influence. Um, and then quite, quite, I mean, even just from the same active squat category, like everything that we do has quite a bit more emphasis on, I, I want to say surface area, but making sure there's spaciousness between your feet and there's good grounding and all of that connection to effort and the earth underneath you. I think we really want to make sure you can find your feet and you can find your foundations. I think I speak so much about foundations in my class because they really are the structure of every pose and the foundation of every pose is so different based on, you know, what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And and the points of contact we have you have with the floor, the geometry of your proportions, the aggressiveness of your stances <laughs> if you will, right? Like all of those things play such a part in the structure of your practice mm-hmm. and um, as you begin to tap into those things more and more, you begin to understand how to modulate the intensity, yes. if you will. And I think that's another kind of big overarching theme of a lot of what we do. Uh, but on a more surface level than a lot of the bigger topics we're kind of discussing, definitely the vinyasas mm-hmm. because it's so straightforward. It's like, wait, that's different. And it's different than the way I've done this thousands and thousands and thousands of yeah, times. Yeah. It's very different yeah. into that like super ritualistic repetitious part of the practice. Exactly. It's not just a one-off different, right? Like when you do chair pose with us, we're often going to cue you to have feet wider, stable chair, like the same kind of thing. But that could be in any style of yoga. So a teacher just says wider feet, but that vinyasa is pretty much uh, unique. It's very, it's very much part of the vibe. And one of the big reasons for that, uh, for the change is we got so tired of seeing <laughs> people combine the two movements together. So chaturanga into upward facing dog. It's called chata up dog. Chata up dog. It's, it's like, it's like one thing. It's like one little move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and because it's cued so quickly, 
that people were never really part of the pose. They're never really doing either of the poses. They were just kind of doing something in between both. It was just like a drive. It's often just a drive-by. It just, like, it becomes just, just get me to the next thing. Exactly. And you lose the ritualistic, the mindful part of it, and it just becomes this mindless repetition. And mindless repetition in an already repetitive practice is something that tends to be unsustainable for your body. Yep. Not, not only is it unsustainable for your body, but it's also not necessarily embodying the, the quality of the practice, like trying to, trying to do things in a very specific way. Special way, in right? A special like the, way, yeah. We think about what vinyasa means, to place things in a special way. Yeah. We're not placing anything in a special way if we're just running right through things, right, with no regard for, for how we're placing them. Exactly. And so by m- making the push-up full, automatically you're required to do a complete movement and then when the knees and the forearms drop it actually helps you open up your front body or set your spine and set your shoulders and then as you pull through the upward facing dog that movement can be so much more clean and hopefully you're using your legs more too on that transition like a lot of legs which is what we want in every back bend so it helps to give you a little bit more power too yeah and the nice thing about it is once you get used to the vinyasa transition i can do it at the same rate as somebody doing a quote unquote. Chata up dog. Yeah. Chata <laughs> up dog or a more common consciousness vinyasa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like the, the metaphor of the vinyasa, which would be, you know, we always want to lower ourselves down with grace, right? But to rise back up is just as important, right? To be able to lift yourself out of the ashes, if you will, to be able to rebound, to be able to come back. Because I feel like life is such a journey of comebacks. Like, <laughs> no matter what, I think that's why we like them so much in movies and sports. Like, yeah, that's, almost, tr- that's very true. In almost every movie, in almost every story, in almost every sport, like, you're really kind of always rooting for that team that's like, making a comeback. You know the I mean? ragtag crew. That, that ragtag crew, that, that comeback vibe. And I think it's because we all need those subtle inspirations all the time to come back because, you know, some, you, everybody has an off day or an off week or an off month or an off year. And they're just like, for whatever reason, like you just can't quite catch the wave. You know, you just can't, you can't find the rhythm to the life that's around you in, in that moment in time for whatever reason. Um, we've all been there and we all will go there again. Um, but to, to have the courage and the confidence to keep showing up and to keep looking to rebound, to keep looking to come back and to looking to rise. I think it's such such an important human quality, if you will, because it's. I think it's such a defining part of our nature. I mean, I just don't think that... I think often you're put in a position where you don't have any other choice. And so the metaphor... I think you always have a choice. I just don't think I give you a choice. Well, that could be true. That could <laughs> no, be true. Um, no, that, that actually could be true. But <laughs> what I mean is you get put in a position and you don't have a good choice. You don't have any good yeah. choices, right? Oh, totally. And so you have to make a choice. So having a metaphorical and literal approach to that strength to rise, to push through the perseverance yeah. of it, I think really... It, it feels it feels small to say that a push-up equals all of that in your life, but I do think it's very helpful to think about, or maybe it feels big to say that, but I think it matters to have a reason why you do things, not just, I mean, yeah, anatomically and from a functional movement perspective, if you're going to have the strength to lower down, we should probably also have the strength to push back up. You know, it makes sense for the shoulder girdle and for your rotator cuff. However, but from a mental perspective, it also matters because 
the stuff that you learn and you go through on the mat, it does translate off the mat, whether you think it does or it doesn't. Like we need this sort of fluid persis persistence to be able to go through the journey of a practice, whether it's to stay on your mat for 15 minutes, for 30 minutes, for an hour, for two hours, whatever it is, the ability to like stay and persevere and do something and work through something, like whatever that experience, whatever that journey is going to be, whether it's flowy and feel good or it's hard and it's like down in the mud and the muck, all of that are it's a very important quality or series of qualities. I think we have to figure out how to garner ourselves. And it's pretty hard to figure that out in the midst of all the chaos of the rest of your life. I think it's easier to work through it on the mat in a more controlled situation and then take those tools off with you. I love that you said fluid persistence. I think that is every day of everybody's life. You know what I mean? It is like, every day of everybody's <laughs> life. You know, like, like you wake up and you have a plan. And maybe it's an elaborate plan, like you got a ton of shit to do, or maybe it's not a very elaborate plan and you're just going to like Netflix and chill all day long. But either way, at some point, you're going to have to like have to adjust to what's ever going, actually going on in your day. You know, you're trying to Netflix and chill, but one of your buddies calls and they need some help. You know what I'm saying? Or... You know, you, you think it's your day off from work, but then you get it's called not. in or, you know, your mom needs something from you. Like, like there's just all these different things that can always show up in a day. And so you have a kid, so nothing is up to you anymore. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so why are you even making plans in the first place if you have a toddler? Anyways, I digress. <laughs> That's a bit, bit personal. You know, <laughs> that, one, that one really comes home. Uh, but it's, I think it's just really true. I think that your ability to adapt like okay this day was definitely not what I thought it was going to be and sometimes that's dramatic and sometimes it's really simple mm -hmm. you know what I mean like sometimes you're like oh I'm gonna have this for dinner but I went to the store and they didn't have that so I'm gonna have this right mm -hmm. but but still to not be thrown off by the things that confront you that's a fluid persistence and that's really the beauty of taking class and taking class from somebody else because they're putting you through the the gauntlet of activities, if you will. And whether that's intense or simple, only they know the path. And so you're kind of stuck in this place of like, what's going to happen? And that little bit of nervous energy that sits in the back of your mind, it, it kind of makes things a little bit harder. But it also, the more you come back to it, it allows you to know that you're going to make it through mm -hmm. and to know that you have what it takes and, and to, to continue to believe in yourself in that path. Like, it's so funny to me whenever I do anybody else's core work, I'm always like, that was so fucking hard. <laughs> and, but when I'm doing my own, which is probably also all very fucking hard, ridiculous in its own way, let's just say, I don't ever feel it. And it's because like I know how many we're going to do. I'm like, if I feel like I'm done, I could just be you're done. You're in control. Yeah, I'm in control. But we you know when I'm when I'm teaching the class. But like if, for example, if you're teaching core work, I'm like, man, Karin's making us do core work today. Man, this is like harder than I thought it was gonna be. You know, I'm just <laughs> like usually usually she, you know, everyone thinks she's all gentle, but but lo and behold, I think there's she's all gentle. <laughs> there's a little there's a little cooking to be had in there. I just think it's learn it's also learning how to manage expectations and your own narrative, right? Like you're dealing with your own chitavriti all the time, but particularly on the mat when you've reduced the stimuli, when everything else is like maybe a little blurry. Chitavriti for those who don't know. Chitavriti is like your inner consciousness, that monkey mind, the chitter chatter sounds a lot like chitavriti, right? It's the fluctuations of your mind that that just 
the chatter that won't quit, right? We all have it. And sometimes we don't even know we ha- we're having it. It's like when you're having a hypothetical conversation in the shower with your boss that's never going to happen or maybe never should happen or whatever it is. It's all of that. And when you're practicing, I find that I run into chitavriti, I mean, in life all the time. But on a mat, when I'm taking someone else's class and maybe beginning a class, I think I kind of know where it's going. I'm like, oh, okay, we're probably going to do this, this, and this. Like, yeah, I'm on board for that. Okay, I feel ready. And then all of a sudden, such something shifts. Or I was wrong. Like, my expectation was totally wrong. And then you're going, oh, well, I was kind of stoked about this thing, but now we're not going to do this thing. And now I have to re... Like, you're kind of having to continually have this dialogue with yourself and figure out how to stay in it right? Like stay in the practice, which is particularly hard at home when you're practicing because you can have the inner dialogue. Patrick or I could be teaching you a class and we throw you a little curveball or maybe it wasn't a curveball and you just had a different expectation and you can make a choice. Like you can get up and you can go watch TV or you can go make a sandwich or you can do something else. And so there's a, there's a different if person. you leave class to make a sandwich, I hope it's a really good sandwich. I hope it's a delicious sandwich. A really and honestly, if you sandwich. make that choice, you were probably hungry. You should honor <laughs> that. I'm not mad about that. Just, you know, like, shoot me a picture of a sandwich. Um, but there's, it's a kind of persistence. And I don't think this is necessarily specific to the yoga practice. I think this exists in any physical discipline or anything that requires this, like, single-pointed focus. But there's something about yoga and how there's not much else going on, right? It can just be you in a mat in a room that requires you to actually quiet that chitter chatter to stay and do it. Because when there's not as much else going on around you, there's stimuli, like your brain likes to make up other shit for you to do. Like you're on the floor on your mat and all of a sudden you kind of look under your cabinets. You're like, wow, I mean, I could vacuum right now. Like I, maybe I would, maybe I would practice better if my floors were clean. I'll just clean my floors today. Like that's chitavriti. That's, that's the stuff that, I think you're also, it's not just like, you know, the, it's not just how strong am I physically. It's just like mentally, what am I doing here? Right? Like, why am I practicing? What am I doing here? What does it take for me to stay and do this practice? And that's where the ritualistic nature of things and the exploratory mindset so comes important. into play. Mm-hmm. Because then you know that no matter what you're doing or no matter what you're working on, there's more. Mm-hmm. Like again, you're working with that open floor plan. You can move your couch here. You can move your couch there. You can place this rug here. You can place a rug there. Like it's giving you options and those options really open up a number of different doors for you as you begin to explore the practice. And that's something that we really wanted, um, every step of the way. Right. So for example, we create, we didn't create active squat. We, we created <laughs> we invented a- squatting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when we created our awakening a, I, I just remember, uh, you know, I was like, why are more people not living in a more of a ready stance more often? Yeah. Like why isn't squats one of these, like, let's call it a five to seven functional movements. Yeah. Why, why aren't we doing more why of this? Why aren't we doing more of this? And like, why are we actively trying to focus on people jumping from a, position of some level of hip flexion into even deeper hip hip flexion, flexion, um, you know, and without ever spending any time strengthening the legs too. Right. And so it just didn't, it didn't feel, and the reference there is just in case you don't know, um, classic a versus awakening a Mm -hmm. right. And it's, it's not a verse thing just so you know, I think, uh, classic Surya a's are an amazing sequence. I just think there's a very high physical prerequisite to make them valuable for 
practicing. Yeah, the way that they're the often way that, taught. The way that they're often taught. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, I love practicing, mm-hmm. you know, the classical A's. I think that there's a lot to be gained from going on a journey to really work on and, and perfect yours. I know that's something that I did, um, you know, for a long time and still continue to do. But I, I wanted the... Feet in between hands is such a hard thing to accomplish no matter who you are, but feet outside of hands is such a more available movement. And so by stepping into that space, it not only allows you to go forward easier, it allows you to go backwards easier, right? And then as we begin to look at um, our Awakening B, we are trying to help people recognize uh, hip extension, the actual range of your hamstring Mm -hmm. and helping you challenge your balance. The thing I love about the B, um, maybe more than anything else, is no matter how often you practice it, you can't really escape it. I agree. This is something I love about the B because this is one thing that I've heard from many students over the years is that at first they hated the B, right? Because it's hard, because it's not easy and it is confronting. And then they love the bee. And yep. I feel the same way in that if I had to pick one sequence to be able to do, if I could only do one thing in a class or like one thing for the day in terms of movement, I like the bee because it's pretty multifaceted, but it's also, I don't know how to say specific, but also multifaceted because it's targeted, yeah. right? Like you're being specific. We're, we're like ebbing and flowing through this execution of control and release and control and release. Like, like there has to be a certain amount of control to get the targeted movement, right? If I want to isolate your hip flexor and hip extension, then I need to be able to figure out how to control the pelvic girdle, how to control the core. If I want to open up the shoulders and the lats, then I need to figure out how to control the shoulder girdle and the core and the rib cage. So like there's this interplay, I think, between like often an awakening of freedom and structure. And I think that that sequence does a lot to not only actually create movement in the body, but also challenge your balance too, right? So right away, we're starting to get into not only physical qualities, but also proprioceptive qualities. I just like what you said there. Oh, thanks. I, yeah, I really, I was, I was going to add on to it, but I was like, you know, I think that really, it really touches a lot of things. I, I love the way that the bee moves. There's such a, fl- a flow to it. It's a very nice place to connect breath and movement to, which I think is um, wonderful and really a goal of the practice because in how many you're supposed to do be doing one breath per movement in some vinyasa sequences, depending on how the teacher is choosing to teach them. But how often is that actually possible? And in the B, it's very possible. And I really like that. And the other thing I really like about the B, and then we'll move on from it, is that you can do it without your hands ever touching the floor. I love that. I love, I spent, I mean, throughout the like, last part of my third trimester when I was pregnant with Harvey, I did the B standing in every class. Like I took your classes until the day she was born. Yeah. Right. And you did I, handstand the day she was I born. I did do handstand the day she was born. Um, and, or maybe the day before, cause she took a while to arrive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but, uh, you can do that sequence and still find stability, balance challenges, you could find space and strength, all of that still exists, whether you do it from down dog or standing at the top of the mat. Like I, it is both challenging and approachable for many bodies or like stages in life, which I think is interesting because often we think that things that are challenging are like, no one can do them, but I think anyone can do challenging things. We just have to make a way for challenging things to be available to more bodies. Because people like challenge. Totally. I'm not saying everything has to be challenging, but I think it's a, a misconception that people don't want to be challenged. I think people, there. I mean, a, a nice ru- rush of endorphins and adrenaline. <laughs> it's good like, for you. That's another reason people 
get on the mat because it feels good and that's what feels good is the actual like endocrine system change that happens when you put stress on yourself. Yeah, the, the act of putting yourself into the practice mm-hmm. um, is, yeah, it's just valuable. It's really important. So from a logistical standpoint, just, you know, for for those of you who are maybe new to practicing communal online, I'm just going to throw this to you. Do all of our teachers teach awakening yoga? Do we only teach awakening yoga at the studio? All of our teachers do teach awakening yoga, but not every class is is required to have components of awakening yoga in it. That was kind of like, is a square rectangle or yes. is a rectangle kind of a question? Yeah, I wanted to make sure that was, you know. Um, and, and again, we're really open-ended in our approach as well, right? That's part of the reason that in the online platform you find um, mobility classes and you find gentle flow classes and you find yin and you find uh, yin-yang and you find just all these, all these things that our team is interested in because it's... What we want out of um, people that, you know, teach with us, teach for us, however you want to phrase that, is for them to really explore their interest, right? Because that's going to help them not only teach with passion, but uh, teach with a curiosity as towards where it's going to go and how it's going to evolve. I would say a lot, majority of our classes do have some element. I would say, I would say most have like you can feel, you can feel either subtly or very overtly awakening yoga in most classes. Let's say almost all classes in the vinyasa category at at bare minimum. Yeah. But it's definitely not a thing that is a requirement. Do you know what I mean? Everyone here is trained in awakening yoga. We do awakening yoga. But I'd say what I love is that everyone just is who they are as a teacher who also teaches awakening yoga. Yeah. I think it's really funny that we're trying to tackle this humongous topic that we've written nearly a, a large book about in, <laughs> in, in, in a podcast. And it's so that, lead, that, that leads to us jumping around quite a bit. Um, but t- to understand, when we say almost everybody teaches a series in a class, there mm. are... 12 series in awakening yoga and the vinyasa in the vinyasa practice and if you're doing the full solar practice there's technically 13 series because we repeat our expansion series which is our prone backbend series um twice in the full solar practice and the reason we do that is because prone backbends are so important Mm -hmm. Um, so nice yeah do them twice best way to um you know because most of the time we all sit like this as I'm hunched over this mic right now I'm like locust pose I i could use a little expansion series right now um, after this, but the series help you tap into so many different parts of the practice. Like you could just think about, for example, another unique series in our practice would be the folding series, right? This is something you would not very unique series. Yeah. You would not experience in another class. And if you see things like this in another class, it's most likely inspired mm-hmm. by the folding series, which is awesome. Um, so a, a lot of what we're trying to work on there is foot strength, and you know your relationship between your toes and the floor because even in a yoga practice you may do toes pose and stretch your toes but how what are you requiring Mm -hmm. of your toes well it's so much more about this series in particular is about joint stability and about joint mobility like it's, it's not so much i feel that much of the practice we spend so much time talking about stretching the muscles and stretching mm-hmm. our tissues and this and that and obviously in awakening yoga we spend quite a bit of time strengthening as well but you know there's 
in yoga, there's often like conversation about like find space in your joints and this and that. But what does that really mean? Sometimes it's beautiful language that helps you visualize length and spaciousness. Sometimes it's stacking and trying to kind of center things in the joint. But if we're really talking about how joints work and how they support us, then we have to be a little bit more specific about it. And I think the folding series is a really good example that it's not like joint training, but it is more targeted on our hinge points, right? Like where am I folding from? It's like human origami. And if you are unfamiliar with the series and like what we're saying about the folding series, what it is, is we start um, essentially in a standing toes pose, right? And then we slowly sit down to the heels. And then from there, you lower the knees to the floor, move through a camel preparation position. And then you sit back to the heels without your hands, hopefully lift the knees. I just finally started being able to do this again. It's very exciting. Um, And then lowering the heels down to a variation of passive squat, trying to have a long spine. You're, pl- so you're kind, kind of play, ebbing and flowing between a camel, a toe stand, and a low passive squat, yeah. back and forth and back and forth. So and you're, so you're you moving between hip flexion, hip extension, knee flexion, knee extension. Folding. folding. You're literally folding yourself. Yeah. Um, I out. think it's, it is it is definitely not an easy sequence, not necessarily because certainly there's quite a bit of requirement on the joints, but also just from a balance perspective. Like sometimes this sequence is challenging, not because you can't do it, because but because that day you just can't do it, right? Because the balance component of it is challenging. You have to be really focused. And it's interesting to have your balance challenge when you're on two feet. Isn't it? It's very humbling. Yeah, it's very humbling. <laughs> and it also requires a lot out of your feet. And it's a great series if you are recovering from something like plantar fasciitis or you're trying mm-hmm. to prevent plantar fasciitis from happening. Um, I mean, I remember when I first started the practice and I, I've growing up, I always kind of had fallen arches and flat feet and knock yeah. knees and things like that. So there like was kinetic chain problems from the very beginning. And I wore orthotics and knee braces and all this stuff when I played sports and, but no one ever, and I, I yoga is not like the first place to do this. And it's not like I, I probably could have spent more time at my PT, but I didn't spend time training my muscles and training the mechanics. I just wore orthotics and like thought it would fix my feet. And then I came to yoga and I remember after a, my first week of yoga, I mean, my feet were so tired, like just (laughs) like viscerally exhausted. Every little tiny intrinsic muscle was just tired because they'd never actually worked so hard. And I think that the sequence is, is it's high demand on your feet, but it's also really important. We forget that we just often let shoes and orthotics do all the work for us. And we don't actually put the time in to figure out what the mechanics of our feet are supposed to do. Because that's been one of the most amazing things for me since recovering, um, from my Achilles tendon or as I'm still in the process obviously of doing that mm-hmm. when you pretty much don't need to use your toes to walk almost anywhere and it's really wild because I, the reason I know that is for me currently my leg feels significantly better when I use my foot oh you mean like people generally don't aren't required to use you're their not, toes yes you're not required it's not a ideally you would be using your toes but shoes and so much of the spring and the step and all that kind of things in life it doesn't require it yeah it's not even just the shoes though it's honestly just that the you can develop because you have a hip and you have a knee and you have an ankle and you have a foot like you have all of those things um there's all these little places you can create enough movement Uh. from that don't require you to necessarily use your foot Mm -hmm. it's actually something i was talking a little bit about in one of our 
uh, teacher training live sessions, maybe this past weekend, where I was like, if your hands are on the ground and you're not using your fingers, you're essentially doing like pails and rails on your wrists <laughs> because you're just pushing your hand into the, you're a flat hand into the floor. And so it's no wonder that people end up with wrist injuries in yoga practices. It's overuse is part of it, of course, but also doing essentially uh, pushing down motion from the hinge joint of your wrist for the entire class or to generate force is going to overwork that um, that area so quickly. Well, it's just neglecting the the other exactly. tools that were set up to help you. Yeah, right. Your uh, fingers. Your fingers. The other the uh, the rest the of the mechanics of that are there to serve you. I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't want to go too deep into like the nerdiness of feet yeah. and, and hands and all of that jazz. But I I think one of the, my favorite parts about using the awakening yoga vinyasa practice, like this designated system that exists within what we call the solar practice, is that you have these series that kind of have a focus. Like some of them are more multifaceted than the others, but generally there's an aim and there's an energetic aim there's a physical aim. And so when you're thinking about practicing or teaching, you can then take those and say, okay, well, like, what do I need in my practice? Now I get to really make the practice fit and work for me. Like, I really need to figure out what's going on with my feet, my knees, my ankles. Okay, well, like, the folding practice is going to be very helpful for you to incorporate into what you're doing. I really need to figure out what's going on with hip extension or with my spine, those kinds of things. Okay, now I have, now I can use the Awakening B, I can use the Navigation Series, those kinds of things, they target that. So I think it... It helps the practice, at least for me as a teacher, be very purposeful. And also as a student, it makes me familiar with things that then I can repurpose for myself as well, like sans teacher. Yeah, I really like that you um, were implying tools for inquiry, if yeah. you will, and how each series really is a tool for inquiry into a specific part of your body or a specific part of the practice. Like if we begin to talk about the Archer series, for example, that's really beginning to explore non-leveraged twists mm -hmm. and how that shapes uh, so many of the, the different movements you can make in your spine. And it, it really is humbling to, you know, think about what your very humble about what your what your archer's lunge is like versus a revolved crescent lunge mm -hmm. you know in a revolved crescent lunge i remember like yeah hand to floor palm flat hand to sky i got this i got this and then you i'd come into like archer's lunge and i was like whoa i not moving at all like i feel tin like man. i was you know tin man like running into a wall or something and beginning to understand that relationship with the non-leveraged twist and how moving through the spine and really moving through your torso and beginning to understand like where am I actually moving from? Like, is it the hips? Is it the spine? Is it the shoulders? Is it the neck? Like, how can I begin to um, organize myself in a way so that I actually know the answer to that question in some capacity? Because that's going to, you know, only help me out as I begin to explore other areas. Well, uh, something like the Archer series is a great example of a, of a series sequence that's absolutely not about just accomplishing the task. Yeah. I've always felt in big twists, binds, things like that, it's like, I just got to catch my hand. Yeah. Once I catch it, I'm doing the thing. Whip one of those branches around. Yeah, well, I just whip one of these long, long scarves around and catch the other one, right? And so it's like, then I'm accomplishing the task. But for better or worse, when you do the Archer series, 
I almost never feel like I'm accomplishing the task. I'm like, this is hard and I'm working the whole time. Uh, so I'm not getting the like feel good ego boost of you're accomplishing this. I'm like, crap, this is hard every time. And I don't mean hard in a bad way. I mean like I have to be there. Like you have to be present. You can't check out. You have to just do the work. And it is one of those things that it, it's a truth telling part of the practice, right? And which is what I think is almost as hard as physically is that mentally and from an ego standpoint, you can't really, there's no um, covering up. There's not really a lot of compensation or, or other paths. You just, you can't go around it. You just have to go through it. And as you, as you begin to put yourself more and more into those truthful moments of class, you know, things begin to show up mm -hmm. and you have to work with those things and you have to potentially persevere through those poses mm -hmm. or those things. And those things are most likely being thoughts and <laughs> uh, kind of creeping up in the back of your mind. But uh, the Archer series, in case you haven't practiced it or you most likely have practiced it if you've been with us on Coming Online, but it's a high crescent lunge position except for that if my right foot was forward, my left hand would be stretching towards the top of the mat, my right hand would be stretching towards the back of the mat. It's uh, like a big open twist. Yeah, it's like a big open twist, right? And so you're really using the legs as your foundation to allow you to move your spine. Mm -hmm. And that's all of a sudden in the way your arms are in space. Because at first you're like, okay, I'm going to be contained in my mat space. But then you realize, oh, I'm just reaching my hand across <laughs> to where I want my hand to be, not to where my shoulder actually is. Yeah. And that really changes things up so much. Mm -hmm. So you... You know, you have to, you really have to be in the truth of the position. Well, you're just your own, you can only move of your own volition, right? You don't yeah. get to hook an arm and crank yourself around and get a little this and get a little wiggle here. Like it's just, it really is a matter of your own strength and coordination and active range of motion there. So there's, there's no cheat in it. Yeah. Uh, a pose that we often practice, uh, that I would also say is a foundational awakening yoga, um, movement that we didn't say in the beginning would be circle wheel. Circle wheel. Oh, circle and wheel and circle chair. And circle chair. Our, some of our most creative naming conventions, I think. I don't think any of our names are inherently <laughs> creative. Let's do a squat. You should be active while yeah. you do it. Uh, active squat. Squat. Okay. Let's put those two words uh, together. Let's do a chair. Put your feet a little wider. You might feel more stable. We're going to go with stable chair on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you're going to start in squat and you're going to try to circle in and out of wheel pose. Circle wheel. Circle wheel. Circle wheel. Yeah, I mean, some of the naming conventions are more us trying to... I think because the to... movements are, are creative well, in, in the a movements, lot of ways. But all of them, they exist within the realm of already common consciousness yoga postures. Totally. Or at least I want them to, to kind of convince you to do them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, 100%. I mean, circle chair is really just standing spinal undulations, right? Yeah. It's, it's spinal exploration. You're just trying to kind of find segmentation and move and, and feel free. Like, there's not a right or a wrong, but... You bend your knees and your feet are at the top of the mat, and that's kind of like chair pose. Yeah. And so I, I think that by calling it that, you can kind of coax people into doing something it's that, that the they process. might otherwise look around the room and be like, nah, dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and circle wheel is similar. When was the last time you said nah, dog in your mind in a class? All the time. Really? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> that's a common part of my chitipriti is like, yeah, that's, that's going to be a no from me. <laughs> <laughs> nah, dog. Are you 12? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe my chitavriti could very well be 12. Yeah, <laughs> it I could like very it. well be 12. I'm not here to knock it. I'm only here to support <laughs> it. Uh, and that's the same with circle wheel, right? So that's essentially a rotational bridge. 
um, but to bring context in it to the yoga practice, we call it circle wheel because you act you actively are trying to circle in and out of wheel pose. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really love about um, circle wheel is that it's actually such a beautiful entry point into back bending because you are back bending, but you're eliminating a lot of the heavier re- upper body requirement, I would say. Um, and so what I mean by that is oftentimes from teaching in you know so many different settings, you see people like that really want to do wheel pose and like no matter how hard they try, their arms are in like a 90 degree angle and their head is like mm-hmm. centimeters off the floor and their face is going from like normal color to like, I don't know, some shade of purple. The benefit <laughs> is maybe not what they want it to be, right? Yeah. It feels like this apex posture. Like exactly. I'm going to do wheel pose. I'm going to do Urdhva Dhanurasana. And I mean, you can, and you might be, but it's just like, I guess I just come back to the why. Yeah. Like why? And sometimes you just want to do something because you want to do it. Yeah, which but, is fair. But I think circle wheel is interesting because it's, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily wheel, nor is it necessarily a circle unless you want it to be, but it is this more spherical movement that requires not just flexion and extension, but also you have to lateral bend, you have to twist. Like it's actually a full exploration of the capabilities of your spine. And that lateral bend actually really helps you open up a ton of space mm-hmm. that makes backbending more available. Yes. Right. So the, these elements take something and not only is it more available, meaning that like more people could figure out how to do it. Well, somebody might, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Oh, somebody may have limitation and struggle with flexion and extension, but they might have a lot of space when it comes to a lateral flexion or more space, more strength when it comes to that twist. And so they can access some version of circle wheel, whereas maybe they couldn't access any version of wheel. So like, I want to give them some slice of the pie and so I think that circle wheel does that. You get some slice of the pie as opposed to all or nothing, which often comes with something that's more linear. And the really nice thing as well with circle wheel uh, is you're, as you're beginning this part of the practice, you're mainly moving through straight arm positions. And so that allows you to access your spine as opposed to do some form of an inverted push-up. Um, you know, if you're laying flat on mm-hmm. your back. You know, because if you have resistance in your front body, essentially, because that's, because that's what you're opening if you're doing a back bend, um, you're pushing through your whole body with your hands, arms, and legs to help you move into that space. And that can be really, really challenging. It can be a lot, a lot. Um, and so you could always just feel like you're running into strength barriers, if you will. Whereas if you're working through circle wheels at the beginning of your back bend practice, while the movement takes um, a little bit of time to learn, you are giving yourself the opportunity to actually explore creating space in your body because the strength requirement is very much moved to the legs. Mm -hmm. Um, And after those five rounds of circle wheel each direction, your legs are cooking. Mm -hmm. They are cooking. And that's, again, another huge emphasis of our practice, especially, or or philosophy, I guess, when it comes to backbending is making it about the legs, like like letting that be the true foundation Mm -hmm. of your heart-opening positions. As as it should be. Yeah. As it should be. Um, So, you know, we've obviously glossed over quite a bit of the practice. I think it's, well, I think it's... I think the practice is vast and big. and It is huge. And so the things that stand out here that are interesting to talk about, I mean, 
we could have this discussion for hours and hours and keep talking about different things. Obviously, that's why we do this, because we like it and we're yeah. invested in it. But uh, I think when you're practicing it, you might be sitting at home thinking all of a sudden to a practice you did this week, going, oh, that's the thing that we were doing. Yeah. Oh, okay, that. Or something else, if you're a super seasoned practitioner with us, going, yeah, every time we do this, I do feel that. Or something else stands out to you. And I think that's what's so cool about the practice is that there's, there are, there's a lot of... I wanted to call them curiosities, but like unique moments within that can, I think, give birth to like insight that maybe didn't show up otherwise, right? Because things are oftentimes a little bit more multifaceted in their nature um, because they're not like, it's not so much like just do it yoga. It's like, I don't know, try it, see what happens yoga. There's a lot more emphasis on the how and the why. Yeah. You know, I think we're really, I think we're really into the how. Mm -hmm. Um, because everybody's body moves differently. And, and when we begin to take that into consideration, when it comes to everybody doing relatively uniform movements, the how that is accomplished is different for everybody. Like everybody's step forward is different. You know, everybody's jump back is different. Even though you're doing the same thing, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like the no two snowflakes are the same. But that's true. That's yeah. true. It's something Harvey's learning right now. I was just going to say, did you see that on Snowflake Day on Daniel Tiger? Could have. <laughs> Can't confirm or deny. Either way, um, it's so interesting when you begin to consider that, right? Like the practice in and of itself, especially a group setting class, is relatively uniform, meaning that like everybody's doing the same thing in some capacity. And so everybody's accomplishing those things in such a different way. And if we, as we begin to tap more and more into the how, we can get in how you're doing it, we can get into the why. And as we get into the why, then we can begin to build into so many new areas in a multifaceted way. I think it just makes the practice so multifaceted, which is wonderful. It's very exciting. I don't know, I'm just, I'm nerdy about these kinds of things, mainly because, um, you know, as we were creating it, uh, I remember, you know, I was like in a hotel room somewhere and I was like, I'm going to start teaching this. And you were like, I don't know. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to. And I was, I was like, I just can't keep doing what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and so, uh, as it began to open and evolve and people were really receptive towards it, I was like, that's amazing because it's now all of a sudden it's, people are able to actually embody it. And, um, it taps into a lot of the inspiration for it, which was really beginning to not only study the way anybody can move, but studying the way many people that have been practitioners for a long time move and beginning to work with and address, you know, things that they kind of, you know, that keep showing up for them, if you will. I I think there's something when you get, really curious about the practice and really into this there's just something also a little bonding about it like why I feel that there's a really tight-knit community of awakening teachers and practitioners and why yeah. uh I don't know coming online I think I think it feels very special is because 
everyone's pretty invested, mm -hmm. right? Like everyone's really invested. It's like when you, you're, you're kind of bonding over things that you're both want to geek out on, right? Totally. Like you meet someone else that is into something you're into and you're like, okay, should we be best friends now? Like, like <laughs> you like Buffy. I like Buffy. We're be best friends now. Like, like whatever that thing is, it doesn't have to be Buffy, <laughs> but, but whatever that thing is, then all of a sudden there is this commonality that like, it just, it feels nice to be surrounded by like-minded people in this way, especially in the yoga practice, which um, can be a very solitary practice, right? It can be very singular, you know, just you on the mat. So I think it's very refreshing to have people that they want to talk about this stuff. They want to dive into it or somewhere to share it and feel like you're, you're um, getting to engage with people who are all just as excited about the practice as you. I was going to make a where someone knows your name reference. Yeah. And, and then I was like, is that Cheers? And I was like, I don't know. I've never seen an episode. It is Cheers. I have seen a couple episodes because I like Ted Danson. Um, it is Cheers. And I know that mostly because I think on our website, one of our things about the studio culture is where everybody knows your name. Hey, respect. Because I love that. I love sitting at the front desk and people come in and you just know people. I feel like you're friends with them. It's familiar. It's like, how's it? You get to actually check in. And I, while that's a part that's obviously harder to recreate online, they're like a studio community. I think with so many, this is way off topic, but with so many studios now in, in many cities, it can, in many cities, it can be so transactional, mm -hmm. right? It can just me. I'm just here for class. I just check in. I swipe my card. I do my thing and I don't talk to anyone. And I don't think that's ever been our approach to the practice. Uh, nor is it why either of us really comes to class. No, I'm such a chat. You are everyone that works here. I'm is such a chat. A chat. <laughs> everyone that teaches. I mean, obviously, listen to us just chat for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Um, but it just feels like an actual community, hence the name, I suppose, yeah. um, that is refreshing, especially when everyone's a bit isolated right now. So thank you so much for being part of our, you know, online community in some capacity. We uh, greatly appreciate it. And um, we hope this gave you a little bit of insight into Awakening Yoga. If you have any other questions about it, we are obviously very happy to continue <laughs> to answer them and continue to speak on it, um, you know, as as much as you inquire. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's like our little... It's our little, I don't know. I, I want to say our, our baby, our, but it, it's a, one of our babies. It's one of our babies. We have a few now. <laughs> one human and then a few. One human and few. And then a few other creations. So it's, I don't know, it's funny to, to think about it that way. Um, as far as upcoming trainings go, what do we have on the schedule? Or what do we have coming up, even though, because technically nothing is on the schedule It's like, yet. well, technically nothing is on the schedule yeah. right now. But we do have another 200 hour coming up this summer. Yeah. Um, so that's going to start in May, but I don't have the dates or the sign up yeah. on the website yet. Yeah. <laughs> but soon. 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 That, that'll, that'll be, be that'll open. be a thing. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then we're hoping to open the studio sooner hoping than later. To, hoping open the studio sooner than later. And then hoping to be able to do in-person trainings again. In 2022. In 2022. Yeah. So that's the cur that's the current plan, the current AYA plan. And uh, yeah. Anyways, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening. We're being awkward little nerds at the end of this podcast, but <laughs> it's kind of like you know if we were if we had to talk a whole hour on Harvey, it'd be, it would be kind of like oh, and, well, I'm not done. And she said, you know, actually I can't say her best line right now because it's no, it's that's one good. she'll she'll hate that she'll when hate she's that 16 if you put this point. on the air. Yeah, and it was, it was the best thing I've ever heard in my life. But <laughs> her current favorite thing to say, just to be, to be nerdy about the kid, the other kiddo now is, 
I need some assistance, please. Uh, Mamma Mia, I need some assistance. Please. Please. Please, okay. Or appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I was like, wow, assistance. I need some assistance. I was like, I don't think I was saying help until like five. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we will see you all soon, whether it's on the mat or in podcast form. Peace.